0: Welcome to Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller. Today we get into some heady stuff. Jeff and I chat with Syngenta environmental toxicologist Dr. Richard Brain. The question, will cities take over the very land that feeds them? Urban encroachment displacing farmland on today's show. And as always, there's ag headlines for the week. I'll pass those along. And Jeff Turner, my co-host, will lend some perspective. Lend? Heck, he'll just give it to you. He's such a benevolent guy. Jeff is the COO of Murphy Family Ventures and decades long member of the North Carolina Board of Agriculture. Our program, Agriculture in North Carolina, is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, Syngenta Global, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. How goes it, Mr. Turner? You know, I,
1: I couldn't be better. It's another, as I, I say quite often, it's another day in paradise.
0: It it is paradise here in North Carolina when I read that drought conditions are affecting 57% of corn, 51% of soybean crop, and here we are with a nice dose of rain, and corn looks great.
1: It really does. It's come a long way. It was to suffer quite a bit prior to to the rain event, but uh, thank goodness we've had some much-needed water, and soybeans look good. The crops look really nice.
0: What I know about tobacco, you could fit in a small corn cob pipe. I drive by a couple dozen acres of of tobacco on the way to our Grifton Tower site, and I notice it bloomed. Now, if I were growing lettuce, that would be a bad thing, but I assume that's a a good thing? It depends on how tall that tobacco
1: is. If it was stressed, sometimes it will bloom out too early, and normally that signals maturity. Once you get that flower, you have to go in and break it out or cut it out. Back in the day, we, we did it by hand. It was called topping and suckering. You Break the top out and then you go down in the leaf axle and you remove all the suckers so that the nutrients and what have you would go to the leaves that you wanted to harvest later. So not being able to see that crop, I can't tell you whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. But if it's if it's shoulder high, that's really a good thing.
0: Very similar to the apple industry, which does the same sort of thing. Basically, you top and sucker. Right. A Sacramento County judge's order blocks the enforcement of Proposition 12, was scheduled for July the 1st, now scheduled for the end of this year. The judge, though, does say no more extensions. My assumption is here they can't administrate it at this point anyway.
1: December 31st, they'll still not have any pork, so he can threaten all he wants. It's not you don't flip a switch. That's what's wrong with people today. They think you just flip a damn switch and everything changes because you want it changed. That's, it doesn't happen that way.
0: Jeff, there's <laughs> a switch on your Game Boy that says reset. That's the new world. That, in fact,
1: is the case that we, we need to unplug the United States and plug it back <laughs> in and see if we can't get it reset. <laughs>
0: That's good. That's good. Gosh. Uh, Senate Ag Chair Debbie Stabenow opened the door to the potential of moving around $20 billion worth of her party's climate and tax credits to be used in the upcoming general spending portion of the farm bill.
1: It makes all the sense in the world to move around something that's senseless and put it over where it could be used. Mm -hmm. That's my commentary on that. I I hope she gets that done. In fact, they could take all of it and move it around for the good it's going to bring. It's
0: useless. The past chair and the current chair of the House Ag Committee, Glenn Thompson, along with David Scott, one Republican from Pennsylvania, David Scott, Democrat from Georgia, They formed a labor working committee to look into the labor issues in agriculture. The objectives are this. Gather information from ag stakeholders on the H-2A visa program for non-immigrant agriculture workers. Craft a report about the program and its impact on food security. And then file a final report that includes recommendations to address some of the program's flaws. The committee is, what, I think like 16 members or something like that of all of the states represented, California has three folks on the committee. North Carolina has two, and all the rest of the folks on the committee are actually uh, single-state representatives. The co-chair of the com- of the committee is Don Davis, Democrat from North Carolina, and uh, David Rouser from our area as well, Republican.
1: I'm glad someone decided they ought to take a look at it, but I'm not sure what information they got to collect. They've been told and told and told and told and told, time after time after time, that we have to have workers to – Plant and harvest crops. We got a lot of new folks who have entered from the South, but you can't hire them legally.
0: What I've heard from representatives who've been involved in interviews is that, yep, we, we got an immigration problem, but hopefully there is some consensus on this particular piece of that problem where maybe we can get something done. For us, uh, North Carolina thought of enough as an ag state to have two representatives on that committee.
1: Second most diversified in the country behind
0: California. I wanted to hit.
1: You ought to talk about this recession thing. You and I were having this conversation via email that she is saying that the risk of recession
0: is diminishing. Yeah, she being Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. Well, that's the
1: worst thing I've ever read <laughs> because she said it, and everything that she says, the opposite happens.
0: Brace yourself. Yeah, but coming. on the opposite side, Fed Chair Jerome Powell says. Look, we're still trying to get inflation to 2%, and we're likely to raise rates a couple more times. And I hope he's saying that for the sake of saying that, as in talking loudly and carrying a small stick.
1: The definition of inflation, I think we've said this before, it's too much money chasing too few goods, right? Right. So rather than crippling the economy so there's less money to chase the goods, why wouldn't you just produce more goods?
0: Well, that's a, a noble thing. It, you can't ramp that up quickly. You can slow money down pretty quickly. Forty percent of what causes
1: inflation is due to the cost of energy, which this administration killed the first within two hours of being sworn in. We started destroying the energy business. I wonder if that's got something to do with the inflation.
0: Uh, Petroleum numbers have come down. Some of those numbers are now pre-COVID numbers. And, uh, Consider. and by
1: the way, inflation is kind of cooling too, isn't it? If you notice that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Standing I don't where think we. So. I, I would bet with Jeff Turner every time.
2: <laughs>
0: That's Jeff Turner betting on Jeff Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a safe bet there. The opinions on this program are those of the host and do not represent the radio station and its owners. Coming up in just a moment, we'll talk urban encroachment with Richard Brain, PhD. You're listening to Agriculture in North Carolina on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Thanks in part to the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, got to be bnc I'm Dan Miller, along with co-host Jeff Turner, and we bring in Dr. Richard Brain, environmental toxicologist with Syngenta Global. That That is your real name.
2: Yeah, sure thing. It's uh, Richard A. Brain, B-R-A-I-N, just like in your head, so I can always defer to the name if I, you know, don't reflect that in conduct. So I was <laughs> born and raised in a small town, blink and you miss it, in uh, rural southern Ontario, Canada. I spent most of my youth on dairy farms. And uh, I've been working in the crop protection industry for almost 15 years now as an environmental toxicologist.
0: So you are a toxicologist, but what brought me to you was a article study you did on urban areas displacing farmland and the potential results.
2: You know, how I became interested in this subject is that it occurred to me that there was a lot of misconceptions in the media um, about this delicate interplay between food security, conservation, species protections, and land possessorship. And I was particularly interested in the role that technology played, including pesticides, in shaping that dynamic. You know, urban centers prosper in areas proximal to the most productive agricultural farmland, you know, because you need to have food production to support development. And so often what you're seeing is that urban centers tend to expand and consume the most valuable agricultural land and land that you're seeing, for example, coming out of CRP once those contracts expire are more marginal in nature and so they're less productive.
1: Richard, your point is most of the population centers are population centers because of the abundance of agriculture in that region originally.
2: We plateaued in terms of our agricultural footprint in about 1950. I mean, there's something like 2.3 billion acres of land in the U.S., and at one point, half of that was consumed by agriculture, and that was the peak in 1950. That's both pasture and cultivated cropland, and they've reduced by 23 and 17 percent, respectively, since then, despite the fact that the population has doubled in that time. And so how do you reduce your agricultural footprint while increasing production to more than meet that demand? And the answer to that is technology.
0: And we've become unbelievably technology savvy in the farming industry in the last 50 years.
2: The advent of, of, of chemical control for weed and weeds and other pests um, that's the mechanization, the farming industry, well as uh, credit to the the spirit of entrepreneurialship in, in the rural communities for, for being able to produce for ninety nine percent from the one percent that's involved directly in agriculture.
0: Is there going to be a point where the two curves cross, where it's not sustainable, that we are not able to, technology is not able to save us quite as quickly?
2: I don't know that we've hit the apex of production yet. One could surmise that we are um, trending precariously close to that threshold. We're losing agricultural land to urban expansion, replacing crops with concrete.
0: I have got to ask, because this is like a buzzword right now, a lot of news headlines for vertical farming and uh, container farming for urban areas, not at a scale that could save us all, so to speak.
2: This seems somewhat limited in scope right now. Um, You cannot just replace... You know, traditional agriculture through vertical farming or other technologies—at least not immediately, um, and perhaps not ever.
1: As we talk about the vertical farming piece, I mean it—it it, it appears to be again a sort of a niche. I wonder if anyone has ever tried to put things in a perspective of what it would take in terms of all those boxes or warehouses to replace the millions of acres of productive land.
2: Yeah, it's fair question, and I'm. I don't know that I'm qualified to answer that, but these are value-added, you know, types of, of production methods right now. But we're entirely reliant on traditional agriculture.
0: More with Syngenta's Dr. Richard Brain, Jeff Turner, and myself on Ag and NC in just a moment. This is Agriculture in North Carolina on Talk six three and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. We're joined by Dr. Richard Brain of Syngenta. Jeff?
1: The Department of Agriculture in North Carolina has advocated and continues to advocate for funding the North Carolina Farmland Conservation Program, where not only do you put a conservation easement on your farm that says it will always be in agriculture, you get a gift you know, through the IRS, you get a gift credit. But in addition to that, they're trying to fund this in such a way that the farmer not only gets the benefit of that credit, they will actually pay let's just say that the easement is worth $5,000 an acre and you get half of that in cash those are the types of things i think that we're going to have to embrace
2: right now if you look at the the land use dynamics i mean obviously the the agricultural landscape is shrinking the urban you know footprint is expanding and, you know, calls for conservation are increasing, yet, you know, land is increasingly coming out of CRP. It's gone from a high of something like 36 million acres down to something 23, I think, million acres right now. The, the urban footprint is basically consuming the best, the most productive agricultural land. And so we're returning marginal agricultural lands back into production.
0: Dr. Brain, if that seems an interesting name, but if I may call you that.
2: I've been called worse, but so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Me too, today.
2: If, if, if you can. Just, just as, as, a, as an inside joke, if you short form Richard a dick, you know, I can <laughs> ground... <laughs> uh, If you look, I mean, you had some numbers, and I don't know if you've got them handy. And, and, and what the data show is that we're losing on average about 2,000 acres of land per day. That's a staggering number. Um, and between, I think it was 2001 and 2016, we've lost 11 million acres of farmland, which is equivalent to all the fruit, nut and vegetable production in California. Yeah, I mean those those numbers essentially come from the American Farmland Trust. And so, you know, that's that's over the course of fifteen years, you know, eleven million acres lost. I and mean, that's a staggering number. Is that sustainable? Again gets back to your previous point. At what point do you get to where you stress the system so much that you exceed we may not have hit the apex of agricultural production yet. But we're getting close, and the more you stress the system, you know, you have to ask the question, you know, what is sustainable?
0: Before we let you go, I want to hit on another area, and that is Jeff and I have talked a lot about where Environmental Protection Agency is on various and the sundry herbicides and pesticides and the development of new stuff. Uh, you're you're probably more aware of that than many of our guests. Is there a new class of pesticides and herbicides coming in to uh, to maybe – replace some of the stuff that is getting difficult to
2: keep alive? Companies are doing their best to try and develop new technologies. I don't see any silver bullets at at present, and so we need to do everything we can to preserve the utility of the tools that we have in the toolbox at present. It's becoming also more challenging, you know, to comply with regulation. I mean, the pesticides are registered on the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, which is administered by the U.S. EPA, but also has to be in compliance with the Endangered Species Act, which is implemented by the Fish and Wildlife Service and National Marine Fisheries Service. And so, you know, those requirements are becoming more challenging. Um, I would say that the assessments are becoming more conservative, um, and so. Um, you're seeing predictions for buffers, for example, anywhere from 100 to 1,000 feet, and so are the implications if you actually had to implement that in practice on the ground. I mean, you could be losing, you know, 20 to 100 percent of your field, depending on the size and scope and nature of those uh, mitigations.
1: He mentioned buffers and that sort of thing, and, of course, being in the the animal industry that I'm in, they, they even want to make the connection of underground drainage making that part of the groundwater connection. And so if you start taking that into account, a lot of your very productive farmland will totally – you you couldn't use any of the pesticides. If you start talking about setbacks and repairing buffers and all those sorts of things, and then you make an application of that to a drainage tile, I mean, it's very quickly you could regulate yourself out of the farming business. Syngenta was previously C. that I guess I've sold a mountain or a, an ocean of atrazine that had C. written on the bottom of it. Atrazine is, is, is used extensively in corn production. And now all that's going away. So back to the original question, do you see something that would come along? It's kind of like pyrethroids came along and, and replaced organophosphates for insecticides. Is there something on the horizon that might take the place of the old atrazine-type tools
2: that we've had in the past? Well, I think they've been working on that since 1958, and that's yet to find success in that space. I'm no policy expert when it comes to water, but, I mean, if you look at, for example, the challenges under the definition of, of WOTUS, waters of the U.S. right now, <laughs> um, you know, and what, what constitutes a reasonable nexus or navigable waters, you know, those are obviously creating significant challenges. And with respect to atrazine, you know, I've worked on atrazine as long as I've been in the crop protection industry. You know, that's over 14 years now. That compound is safe and effective. We haven't come up with, you know, a viable alternative to this point. That's not to say that we won't or we can't. I mean, you know, I wouldn't discount technology in coming through with some sort of breakthrough. Um, but, you know, that's not where we're at right now.
0: You were just talking about getting through the APA as well as the Endangered Species Act. And, you know, the headline probably for this week is that the Biden administration is going to roll back some of the Trump exclusions on the Endangered Species Act, which could affect this.
2: Yeah, again, I'm not a policy expert. I think there's... There's a better way forward, you know, in terms of, of, of dialogue and engagement between the Crop Protection Agency and growers who actually have to implement these mitigations and on their fields and, you know, on their farms, as well as, you know, non governmental organizations and obviously the federal government. I think there's a, a better path forward, um, which is through enhanced communication and, and engagement.
0: Dr. Richard Brain is an environmental toxicologist with Syngenta Global. Appreciate it, man. Yes, you bet. Anytime. Take care. Thank you. I'll be back with week-over-week week commodity prices on agriculture in North Carolina. Brought to you by First Choice Insurance Partners. Call Donna Byram at 252-792-1189. Let her protect your yield so you can stay in the field. This is Agriculture in North Carolina. I'm Dan Miller. Did you know that Bill Crone Cars and Wallace is the only Chevy GMC dealer in eastern North Carolina to be an AgPAC dealer? Which means any farmer who buys a vehicle at Bill Carone is eligible for more than thirty thousand dollars in savings on products you might already use, everything from tires to crop products. Check out the advantages of the Ag program at Bill Carone Cars in Wallace. Now let's take a look at last week's commodity numbers. Cattle futures ended the week on a mixed note, with expiring June contract ending at 177.50 and most active August closing at 170.77. Closing price represented a weekly drop of ninety five cents. In contrast, tumbling grain prices triggered a commensurate jump in feeder futures. The August contract ended the week at two thirty-three ninety five, up three dollars and twenty seven cents on the day, up three dollars and twenty seven cents on the day, but down ninety seven and a half cents on the week. August Lean Hog futures closed at eighty nine sixty seven and a half for the week. August Lean Hogs lost one dollar. Egg prices were steady on small, higher on the balance when compared to the prior week. North Carolina weighted average egg price quoted Thursday, June twenty second for small lot sales of delivered carton grade A eggs was one hundred forty five eighteen for extra large, one hundred thirty two thirty for large, one twenty two oh nine for medium, and eighty four dollars for small eggs. Number two yellow shelled corn was twenty nine to forty nine cents higher when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly six hundred seventy three to six hundred sixty one at the feed mills, seven hundred twenty five to seven hundred fifty six at the elevators through Thursday, june the twenty second. Number one yellow soybeans were 15 cents to one dollar higher, range 15.57 to 15.95 at the processors, mostly 14.15 to 14.77 at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was 45 to 57 cents higher, range 6.77 to 7.09 at the elevators. Soybean male FOB at processing plants range 6.6280 to 6.8920 per ton for 46.5 to 48 percent protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery, corn ranged 618 to 714, soybeans ranged 1299 to 1372, and wheat was 618 to 739. And that's this week's Agriculture in North Carolina. If you miss a show, play the podcast on your schedule. Find it where you get your podcasts, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Find links to our sponsors at agnnc.com ag carolina farm credit first choice insurance partners syngenta global and the north carolina department of agriculture and consumer services got to bnc agriculture in north carolina copyright 2023 interbanks media for jeff turner myself dan miller have a great week